Hello and welcome to a special edition of the Great Scott Cinema Club podcast. My name is Keezy and I'm your solo host uh, for today's episode. Yep, that's right, I wasn't joking when I said I was going to dedicate a full episode to Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. And here it is, here we are. If you're out there listening, thanks very much for giving me a chance with this one. I'm going to be giving this film the sort of treatment usually reserved for classics like uh, Godfather, Jaws or Enchanted, you know, the real masterpieces. But today it's all about my favourite movie. There's no Chris today. He's used all his podcast experience and savvy and he knows a potential disaster when he sees one. So he's steered clear of this one and left me to it. So it's just me. As I said, thanks very much for listening. I just wanted to pay tribute to my favourite movie uh, to celebrate 30 years since its release. I mean, I probably shoehorn it in every episode that we do, but this gives me a chance to ramble on as much as I want about this film and hopefully somebody out there enjoys it. Thanks for listening, Sean. I know I could count on you. The only other person I know that <laughs> likes this film nearly as much as I do. So cheers, Sean. The only one I know that's definitely listening. I promise this is a, this is a one-off. This is strictly a one-off episode. I will not be doing this again. I mean, this is take number 15. You should have heard the other versions that, that didn't make it. If you think this one's bad, you should have heard those. Right, let's get started. Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves was directed by Kevin Reynolds. It was released in the summer of 1991. The tale of Robin Hood returning from the Crusades to see his world turned upside down and his land being ruled by the Sheriff of Nottingham and his witch. Robin and his pal Azim, they're now outlaws, they're on the run, and with their newfound gang of merry men, including Little John and Will Scarlet, they aim to fight back and stop the evil tyrant and save England. I'm sure you've heard all that before. I'm going to be dissecting this film, I'm going to be going through with a fine tooth comb. This is your spoiler alert. I mean, come on, it's 30 years old and it was on Channel 5 every week for about 10 years at one point. So surely you have all seen it. So here we go. And it all started for me in June 1991. I was watching a programme called The Chart Show on ITV. Um, that was like a, it was a music countdown programme that played videos and it was the previous week's chart and it was on a Saturday afternoon. This one still stands out, I can remember it, it's saying new entry at number 8, Brian Adams, everything I do, I do it for you, from the new Robin Hood film. And I just, I couldn't believe it, I just stood there in awe and I ran into my mum and says, I've just heard the best song I've ever heard in my life. And I've just seen what looks like the best film that's ever been made. I can't believe they're making a live-action Robin Hood film. Because I loved the Disney, the Fox cartoon. I loved that. Now this was coming out. And I was, I couldn't get more excited. And as you may know, if you've listened to the podcast before, you'll know that my mum didn't take much persuading uh, to go to this film. Uh, because the main man himself, Kevin Costner was in it and any time Costner appears on screen my mum turns into the Morphe home alone. Kevin! Um, so no persuading needed there. We were there the first weekend it came out and that was maybe a month later so the excitement levels were through the roof. 
because that was a month of the song climbing to number one. The video being everywhere, trailers being everywhere, and I just I was never been more excited. And then we went, and from the moment the bio tapestry intro came on, all the way to the friar's cheeky wink at the camera at the end, I was rooted to my chair for two and a half hours. Absolutely mesmerised. The film blew me away. And after it, it was all I could talk about. I bored people to death with this movie, describing every single scene. Uh, basically, I've been doing that ever since. That's <laughs> what I've spent the last 30 years doing. So hopefully this podcast gets it all out of my system and you never hear me talking about Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves again. Uh, good luck with that. <laughs> Don't worry though, it's not all going to be a love letter to the film. I'm going to have some fun at its expense as well. There's a lot of problems with this movie and we'll touch on them uh, to get a bit of a laugh as well. But for now, here's the main reasons why I love Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves. The first reason is the film score uh, by Michael Kamen. As I said, the opening scene of this movie is the bio tapestry, like close-ups of that with the actors' names coming up on the screen to the tune of this amazing film score. Right away, I was I was blown away by this. I actually think this must have been what it felt like in 1978 when people went to see uh, Superman. I mean, I'm not comparing it to the Superman theme tune by John Williams because that's probably the greatest theme tune of all time, but this was my movie moment where an amazing film score and I just loved it. Michael Kamen, he previously scored films like Die Hard and Lethal Weapon, but they're, more no they're not known for their big epic cinematic scores. It's more about building tension and drama. They're great scores, but in their own way. He also did Highlander, which has got a good theme tune, but the that was it was completely overshadowed by Queen songs. It's a kind of magic, Who Wants to Live Forever, Princes of the Universe. I mean, the Queen soundtrack just completely overshadowed uh, Michael Kamen's theme, which is fair enough. Uh, Kamen then went on to score The Three Musketeers. He wrote the opus for Mr. Holland's opus, and he he did the score for that film. He also did the Iron Giant and I don't know if music fans out there, Metallica, the concert they did with an orchestra. Michael Kamen was the, the conductor for that as well and he also did the theme tune for the TV show Band of Brothers. I mean so the guy's an absolute legend but for me this is his masterpiece. This is by far his best film score and this score, this tune has went on to be used by Disney for their DVD collection advert and you might recognise it from the Starling Bank adverts. I nearly fell off my chair when that advert came on. There was other parts of the film score that was tremendous as well and actually one of the parts was the Robin and Marion love theme and he plays that when they're at Sherwood Forest and that's what inspired my next reason why I love this film. And it's the Brian Adams song, Everything I Do, I Do It For You. Kevin Reynolds, the director, he uh, was trying to get someone to write a song for the film. 
I think him and Michael Kamen were, sorry. And they'd approached Annie Lennox and Kate Bush and Peter Cetera from Chicago and they all turned them down. And then he found out that Brian Adams was in London eh, working on his new album with Mutt Lang. Mutt Lang's a music genius, um, producer of Foreigner, Def Leppard, Shania Twain, writes hit after hit after hit. Uh, so the two of them were working on the album and Kevin Reynolds phoned Brian Adams and sent them footage. And it was of Michael Kamen's score and that scene at Sherwood Forest between Robin and Marion. But the romantic moment and 45 minutes later they wrote the song. They had written the song. It's, the, it's Michael Kamen's melody, they used that. And then Robin asks Marion if she would do a favour for her king and she says, no, I'll do it for you. And that's how they got the title as well. And they did that in 45 minutes. But the three of them did the same for All For Love for the Three Musketeers movie. Michael Kamen had already wrote the film score again. And Mutt Lang and Brian Adams listened to the film score and wrote All For Love around that. So Michael Kamen's got writing credits on both those songs. I don't know why they didn't do that more often because they're writing absolute classics. This song, everybody knows this song. Yeah, I love it or hate it. It was nominated for an Oscar, but it lost out to Beauty and the Beast, which is fair enough. It won the Grammy, and it was number one in every country apart from Spain and Italy. I don't know what their problem was. <laughs> it was the biggest selling song of 1991 in the UK and the US, and everybody knows it's still the record holder for most consecutive weeks at number one in the UK with 16. In 1994, wait, 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 we're going for the record. Oh, sorry, we're going to equal the record. And the story is that Marty Pello took it off the shelf because he was sick of it. But in actual fact, it was never going to get the 16th week at number one. Saturday Night by Wigfield was out selling it. And it, that was always going to get the number one. So I never thought I'd say this, but thank God for Wigfield. So what I'm going to do, I'm going to play a little bit of Michael Kamen's theme tune that inspired everything I do. such a great tune and you can see how they wrote the song around that and came up with a, a, an all-time pop classic and we'll move on to the next reason which is the cast this is an all-star cast for this movie I'm deliberately missing out one cast member because he deserves his own slot on the list and we need to start with the main man himself Kevin Costner who gets absolutely slaughtered uh, for this performance, mainly because of the accent. And it's it's an easy target, I suppose, but the accent never bothered me. I mean, I've, I've never heard Robin Hood speak, so I don't care what, what he sounds like. Although I sound a bit hypocritical because I slaughtered Russell Crowe for his Irish accent in his Robin Hood movie. So I'm clearly biased towards Costner, but I don't think the accent affected this movie in any way. 
They were bringing Robin Hood to a new audience. It's the first live action film in years. They were rebooting this well-known hero and trying to make it relevant for that time. And the only way to do that, you've got to get a big movie star and there was few bigger at that point than Kevin Costner. He was coming off the string of hit movie after hit movie. It was No Way Out, Untouchables, Bull Durham, Field of Dreams and Dances with Wolves. Five huge films, one after the other. That's the guy you want. Buckets of charisma. He looked a million dollars with the, the bow and arrow, which he learned for the film. His fight scenes were all great. He was the type of guy that you would want to lead you into war. So I've got no problems with his performance. But uh, he, he, won the, he won the Razzie for worst actor for this performance. Um, but as I say, he's an easy target. So we'll move on to him. And it's the support cast is all brilliant. It's Morgan Freeman who plays Azim. This is the first time I'd ever seen Morgan Freeman. He was my favourite character in this movie. And it was a great performance. You've got Mary Elizabeth Mastrantonio, who played Maid Marion. She took over at the last minute from Robin Wright Penn, who got pregnant and had to withdraw. You've got the theatre actor, Nick Brimble, playing Little John, and he was brilliant in it. And the other guys that were in this film, Christian Slater, Brian Blessed, Michael McShane... And Geraldine McEwen. Um, it was a great cast. Uh, one guy I do want to mention is Michael Wincott, who played Guy of Gisborne, and he's such an underrated actor. He, he's one of these guys that's just, he's only ever going to play a baddie because he just looks like a, a bad article with a gravelly voice, and uh, he's never going to put, he's never going to play the leading man, he's always going to be the henchman and he's brilliant in this film and he was in all these kind of films like Three Musketeers where he basically played the same role, um, The Count of Monte Cristo, things like that, he's, he's such a good actor and also the artful dodger himself, Jack Wilde, got a small role in this film in his first performance in years. So it's a, it's a great cast and everybody's brilliant in it well, maybe apart from Christian Slater, I think his performance gets even more slated than Kevin Costner's. But I thought it was fine. Next reason is the humour. Uh, well, sorry, I've wrote the intentional humour because there's a lot of unintentional humour in this movie, which will come to it at some point. It's got, it's got some great jokes in it that all land. I remember at the time in the cinema, everybody was, was laughing at them. Mainly the banter between Azim and Robin at the start. You've got the scene where Azim gives Robin Hood a telescope and it was the first time he'd used one and the hilarity around that, that was a great scene. There is a lot of light-hearted moments throughout the movie but the other side of the coin it's very, very dark. It's a dark, dark movie for a for a PG kids movie. But aye, it's, it's got some really funny bits in it. And the next reason, one of the main reasons why you go to the film is the action. That's, it's a Robin Hood film, it's an adventure movie, and it's got some great action in it. It's got some great fight scenes. The one at Hadrian's Wall was a great scene. Uh, the rescue mission at the end is tremendous. It's dramatic, it's exciting. Battle scene in Sherwood Forest is fantastic. That wouldn't have looked out of place in Braveheart or The Patriot or one of those type of films. It's, it's great stuff. It's got some great action scenes in it. And obviously the, the big fight scene at the end. Another bold claim here, I think it's one of the best fight scenes in, in film history. You've got the good guy against the ultimate bad guy finally squaring off in a 
they're fighting for everything. One minute the sheriff loses his sword, gets it back. Next minute Robin loses his sword, gets it back. And it's it's end-to-end stuff. And, and even at one point you think the sheriff's won. Uh, it's a, it's a, and it, it's, even then it's got some humour in that as well. The sheriff stealing a kiss off the maid Marion during the fight and, and things like that. It's, it's a brilliant fight scene. It's a great way to end the movie. The action in this film, it's a two and a half hour movie, so it's going to have to have something. And it's got action in abundance. And that kind of brings us on to the next one, which is the iconic scenes. So this was a huge summer blockbuster in 1991. There was two that year. It was that and Terminator 2. And they were the two biggest grossing movies of the year. Terminator 2 was, was the biggest. And for a film of this size, it has to have iconic moments, iconic scenes. That if you've seen the film once, you'll always remember that scene. And this has got plenty. Everybody remembers the slow motion arrow shot with it, the flaming arrow with the explosion in the background and the slow motion shot where he, he kills the guy that's trying to kill Will. It's a great scene. That's iconic. Stands up 30 years later. Brilliant scene. You've got the arrow getting into the tree, but from the point of view of the arrow, that's a cool shot. You've got the catapult over the wall. Another iconic shot that everybody remembers. The fight between uh, Robin Hood and Little John in Sher- Sherwood Forest, which was filmed at the Yorkshire Dales, that's an iconic scene, and that that stands stands up as well. So it's got a lot of iconic scenes and memorable moments. I'll I'll say one thing about the film does. It looks thirty years old in some places. It's grainy. It's some of the scenes are poorly shot, but then all of a sudden you've got the White Cliffs of Dover. It lights up the screen, looks amazing. The Yorkshire Dale scenes still looks still look fantastic. The Hadrian's Wall shot that looks incredible as well. So it's got all these iconic scenes in iconic locations. They kind of saves the film nowadays because, as I said, it does look a bit aged in other areas. But then you've got these scenes that still look amazing. Next reason is, and I've spoke about this before. This is the cameo. Now, I mentioned Sean, my pal, earlier, and, and it was him that told me this fact. I didn't know this. And it is that Sean Connery was originally supposed to play Robin's dad, but he turned it down because he just played Indiana Jones's dad and he didn't want to end up with all these dad roles. So he pulled out at the last minute and then Brian Blessed played the dad. But I'm kind of so glad that that happened because we'd just seen Sean Connery getting killed off in Highlander. Brutal death scene. And then in The Untouchables, another brutal death scene. So I wasn't ready for a hat-trick. I don't want to see Sean Connery dying again. He's he's Sean Connery, he's not Sean Bean. So for two reasons I'm delighted. One, he doesn't die. And two, we get the iconic moment at the end. And I can't stress this enough. That cameo is one of the best cameos in movie history. Nobody had a clue that Sean Connery was in this film. And when he turned up at the end, I said this before, This I've never seen a reaction like it in the cinema. People cheering and clapping and gasping. and You would have thought Sean Connery had come in and sat down in the theatre. Uh, the reaction was that big. And obviously I was sitting there like, who's that? I don't know who that is. What's going on here? I was only eight. I'll still, I still remember that moment because I've never, I've never seen a cinema react like that since. 
this is a scene stealer. It's a great way to end the movie because it's such a big moment. Uh, another magical movie moment that this movie's got. Um, and as I said, one of the best cameos ever. I mean, I was eight years old when I was watching this and all this was going on. And the other things I loved about the film was the when they're in the forest and he's training the, the people to fight and make weapons and build houses and all those montages with the amazing uh, theme tune. So like, this is magic. <sighs> Wish I lived in the forest. That, that type of thing. So absolutely brilliant. But we're now saving the best reason to last. And this is, of course, Alan Rickman. Um, here's a, a small clip of the great man in action. Roxley! I'm going to cut your heart out with a why a spoon, cousin? Why not an axe? Because it's dull, you twit. It'll hurt more. Cancel the kitchen scraps for lepers and orphans. No more merciful beheadings. And call off Christmas. Alan Rickman is absolutely incredible in this movie. To the point where it should probably have been called Alan Rickman, Prince of Awesomeness. He's that good in it. He steals every scene. It's an incredible performance. He's the star of the show by a mile. The producers begged Alan Rickman for a long time to take this role, but he was having done it. He said, you've sent me the script, I've read my lines, and they're the worst lines I've ever heard in my life. So I don't want this role at all. He kept saying no, they kept asking him, persisting. And he said, right, I'll do it in one condition, that I get to write my own lines. And they agreed to it, and that's what he did. And it was him and Ruby Wax that, that wrote the uh, the sheriff's lines for this film, and thank God they did. It's incredible stuff. It's the perfect, over-the-top, pantomime movie villain that you need. If you're going to have a hero like Robin Hood, you need a great villain, and there's few better than the sheriff of Nottingham in this film. I can't stress it enough. He steals every scene he's in. The test screenings for this film, they actually forced him to take some scenes of the sheriff out because by the time the fight scene came at the end everybody was cheering on the sheriff uh, they wanted him to win robin was getting booed out the building it's incredible and you heard you heard a couple of his classic lines but he had more than that as well as i said every scene every word out his mouth every wee glance to the camera he was just eating it up he was just loving every minute of this to the point where mary elizabeth master antonio said Christ, I wish I was in his film, because he is the one that's having all the fun. He's having, all, he's getting all the fun things to do, all the fun things to say. He is having the time of his life. It's phenomenal. It's movie magic at its best. Um, and he even won a BAFTA for it. A film like this, winning a, a BAFTA for one of the acting uh, awards, it's unheard of. But he was that good, just unbelievable. And Alan Rickman, one of the all-time greats. Even forget about the Harry Potter stuff. He played two of the most iconic bad guys in film history. Hans Gruber on Die Hard and the Sheriff of Nottingham and Robin Hood. Amazing stuff. Okay, so that gets all the puff piece stuff out the road. All the fanfare and love letter to Robin Hood is now over. We're now going to talk about the reasons why deep down I know that this is not the masterpiece that I once thought it was. The 
first reason is the PG rating. This film made bucket loads of money through $400 million at the box office in 1991, which was huge. But the main reason it was able to do that was the PG certificate. And I don't know how they got a PG certificate for this. Uh, you wouldn't have got, you wouldn't get away with half of it now. Some of these scenes wouldn't look out of place in Game of Thrones. The, the very first scene of the film, a guy gets his hand chopped off and thrown on a fire. And then we're treated to close-ups of all these scrawny, tortured men that look absolutely revolting chain in chains and just you're getting close-ups of these people I was 8 years old at this film and my sister was 5 she was sitting next to me and my mum's pal's daughter was 3 and they were at this watching this film it's got people getting hanged people getting almost beheaded getting flaming arrows through the throat you've got a body count that would rival Rambo 3 it's unbelievable. this is such a dark movie you've got the devil worshipping stuff you've got um, the corpse of uh, Robin Hood's dad that still haunts my dreams that the close up of these burning corpse absolutely disgusting <laughs> um, you've got the famous Christian Slater F-bomb which has absolutely no place in, in in this movie. But the writers must... Let's see what we can get away with. We'll have them catapult over the castle wall and then Slater will just come up with... Oh, fuck me, they made it. <laughs> ah, if you can get away with it, good on them. But then there's, there's, even, there's this scene that I'm maybe a wee bit uncomfortable talking about, but I need to mention it. It's near the end of the movie. It's basically the sexual assault of Maid Marion. This witch is telling the sheriff that he needs to take her now. Remember, this is a kid's movie. This is the attempted rape of Maid Marion. She actually screams at one point, you may take this body, but it will not be me. It will not be me. Man, that is some dark shit. That is, that is fucking traumatising. How did that get kept in the film? What was the need for it? A PG movie in 1991. Never get away with this stuff now. No chance. And um, I think Chris said on a previous episode that Batman Returns was the first 12. And it's because... Uh, I'm convinced, because that was, that was 1992, I'm convinced it was because of this film. Because the, the, the man that was in charge of the certification of movies said it was the biggest regret of his life, giving Robin Hood a PG rating. I don't know how they pulled that off, but it was the only reason why I was allowed to go... So we'll move on to the next reason, which is the inclusion of the Sheriff's Witch. And don't get me wrong, Geraldine McEwen's great in what she's been asked to do in this film, but it's more to the point of why she's in it, why this character is here. Gone are the days of old Robin Hood roaming in the Glen with his merry men. Now we've got absolutely grotesque witches. Some of the... Some of the things she comes out with, you wouldn't get away with now. The painted man, he haunts my dreams. Like I know what haunts my dreams, you racist old cow. How you get you would never that would never be allowed in a movie now. The painted man, God's sake, it was only thirty years ago. Yep. So the witch is, as I said, grotesque, horrible. Some of the close-ups of her were absolutely revolting. 
but nothing against Geraldine McEwen, fantastic actress, great in the role, but there was no need for this. And now <laughs> we come to the unintentional humour and the terrible lines of this movie. There's some great lines in this film. You heard the sheriff earlier saying some of them, and basically every line out the sheriff's mouth is gold, but there's also some absolute howlers. Little John has some... At one point he calls Robin Hood and Azim uh, a couple of toss pots. There's just random lines that come into the movie, like uh, this camp guy turns up at one point, like, God bless you Fanny, and God bless Robin Hood. <laughs> it's like, where did that come from? Who's that guy? There's another line at the end of the movie where little John's wife, Fanny, wants to fight with the guys at the end, and little John does, Are you on bleeding crack, woman? Crack, really, in the, the year 1100? I mean, oh well, I mean, Jack Wilde looks def, looks rough as old boots, so maybe he did have a side hustle dealing crack to the mum of ten. But um, some bizarre lines for a movie set in the medieval times. And now we've got my pal Barry's favourite line in the movie. There's a scene where Maid Marion has been kidnapped by the sheriff's henchmen. And just out of nowhere, the guys like that. I've never seen the breasts of a noble woman before. Is this a kid? Is this still a kids movie? Like this is another sexual assault attempt on Maid Marian, which has been absolutely put through the ringer in this movie. Poor Marian, no wonder she was a quivering wreck at the end. Thank God she had Costner's arms to fall into. And there's another one at the Sycamore Gap at Hadrian's Wall where the sheriff's henchmen are chasing after a wee boy who climbs up a tree and then like Guy Gisborne turns up and tells these man to cut it down and the, the guy's got like an a, a small axe. I mean, honest to God, this, I've had stakes that this axe wouldn't have cut through and the tree was about three metres thick. So I, I think if you go down to Sycamore Gap, Hadrian's Wall, just outside uh, Carlisle, you can still see that guy trying to chop this bloody tree down. So it's just just daft things like that. <laughs> um, it actually probably enhances the film, to, if I'm being honest. The next reason is the blunders. Now, every movie's got, like, continuity errors. Remember they used to do the movie mistakes programme and it was like, oh, if you see in this scene, that guy's holding an apple and he's left hand and then when the camera goes back to him he's holding it in his right hand like who cares and there is scenes like that in this film just who cares about that and I'll even forgive them for the fight with Little John when Little John throws him into the water and he's uh, soaking wet Robin Hood comes out of the water and he looks as if he's just walked out of a salon with a big bouffant hairdo looking a million dollars and it's bone dry and I was like right, I'll even forgive that but there's some things that you, you can't forgive. Okay, I'm going over the top. I'm taking this film far too seriously, but it's purely for for my fun. I'm probably the only one that finds this all this funny, but hey, it's my show. <laughs> At the start of the movie, Robin Hood's dad gets killed and he escapes the Holy Land on the same night. And then it says four months later. And this is when they arrive uh, at the beach at, at Dover. And then him and Azim just start talking to each other as if it's the first time they've met. I was like, wait a minute, he's been travelling thousands of miles. 
when we last seen Robin Hood, he, he looked like Tom Hanks in Castaway, and now he's a clean-shaven Adonis. They, so they must have popped over to a Turkish barbers or something like that. And then they're sitting in the boat next to each other as well, but they don't start talking until they go into the beach. And then, bizarrely, Robin Hood tries to have him killed. Just two guys turn up and try to fight Azim, and Azim kicks their ass and, and says, and then just they just brush it off. Go, ah, <laughs> ah, no bother, Azim. That's me new best mates now, by the way. Let's go. We're going to have a pint with my da. And that was it. So, like, what were they doing on the boat? But Why were they not talking to each other all this time? Just strange things that for some reason annoy me <laughs> um but also when that four months had passed they go back they go to the house to find his dad dead and his dad's pal duncan with his eyes ripped out and he says that that happened the same night his dad died so wait a minute here duncan you're blind as a bat how have you survived the last four months uh, the next one's my favorite though so robin hood and his pals have been doing their thing, stealing from the rich, giving to the poor. The sheriff, one of the sheriff's wee henchmen, the wee scribe guy, the sheriff's asking him, like, well, what's the damage here? And the scribe's like, I stole, in the last month, he stole three or four million. I mean, this is 800 years ago, and the sheriff doesn't bat an eyelid. Oh, three or four million, aye. No bother. How rich is this guy? If Bill Gates lost four million tomorrow morning, he would be demanding answers. Demanding investigations and heads would be rolling, but the sheriff doesn't, couldn't care less. So that that was a bit odd as well. Anyway, it's just wee daft things like that that annoy me that are still funny, and that's what the film's all about, isn't it? When you really love a film that much, you notice daft things about it. So we'll move on to the main reason why the film suffered over the years, and it's the different versions. And these new versions, or different versions, have ruined the film's legacy. The theatrical release is a great movie. It still is. But we've got these new versions. And the first one's the one that ends up on the BBC. And it's just a watered-down version. There's no Christian Slater F-bombs. There's no toss pots. And there's certainly no noble women's breasts. That They're all gone. Somehow... The attempted rape scene still makes it in, but those hilarious lines are all they're all out. Um, it's a family friendly version. It annoys me because I'm waiting on all because I know every line of the movie, so I'm waiting on this coming up and then they're not there, so it annoys me. But it's the it's the version that Channel Five showed, and what their version was was it was a DVD release in two thousand and ten, and like that was like the thing at that point where you got all these extended versions to make a quick buck and they found 20 minutes extra footage of Robin Hood, Prince of Thieves and they just like, right, we'll just edit it into the film and release it as is without checking to see if the film still makes any kind of sense and this is where it just goes to pop. These scenes were left out of the film for a bloody reason but now they're back in in this bumper version that if you watch it on Channel 5 with adverts if it, and it starts at 9 o'clock you need to take the next day off work it's absolute madness. It's on. It's on for longer than Gone with the Wind. And um, there's all these new devil worshiping scenes. It's just really creepy and horrible, and darker, and it makes it actually makes the sheriff less likable. And again, they were deleted for a reason. The most disturbing one is the Friar Tuck scene. In the original film, he doesn't agree with Azim delivering Little John's wife's baby. 
But then everything comes good and he apologises, oh, I made a mistake, you were awesome there, let's be pals. And it's what what's left in the original film's good, but in this, he just goes all out racist. And it's it's uncomfortable to watch, it's, actually, it's horrible. The way he, he talks to Azim, and Azim looks genuinely gutted. So, thank God they cut that this crap out as well. Um, just flat out racism, terrible. But this is my favourite one. In this new version, the the wee scribe guy that was telling the sheriff about the four million and all that, he's annoying the sheriff. The sheriff cuts his tongue out. So uh, the next scene, the guy's walking about writing on a mini chalkboard because he can no longer speak because he doesn't have a tongue. So that was added into the film. But they forgot that at the end of the movie, Robin Hood's in the castle and he goes up to that wee scribe guy and says, where's Marion? And he says, up the stairs that way. Hold on a minute, you couldn't speak 10 minutes ago. Now your tongue's magically grown back. It's like, that, that is, that's a blunder. How did nobody spot that? Can we please get these new scenes to hell? So, uh, yep, that was the last reason why, deep down, I know this film has got a lot of problems. And another point in the film is the real hero, uh, the bales of hay, the giant bales of hay that appear everywhere. They just appear out of nowhere and keep breaking people's falls. Like the true heroes that they are. Um, obviously the most famous one is the catapult scene where they go f they go flying over the castle walls and just happen to land on a huge big pile of hay. I'd like to have seen like, the, the wee guy at the castle the day before like, putting all this hay into the corner and the guy's like, what are you doing with all that hay? He's like, well, I don't know, I've got a feeling that this might, this might come into play one day. That's what breaks a fall and it happens two or three times in this film, bizarrely. And... The last thing I want to mention before I finish up is spare a thought for Will Scarlet in this movie. Now, I don't think, I think people hate Will Scarlet in this and they hate Christian Slater. It just looks out of place a wee bit. Will Scarlet hates Robin Hood in the movie and it's actually quite easy to see why. Christian Slater's not the worst looking guy on the planet and I'm sure a guy that looked like that in the year 1100 would never be without women. But the only good looking woman in this movie is Maid Marion. Oh, you've got the, you've got the sheriff and Nottingham's prostitutes. If I, I forgot about them, and another great addition to a, a a kids movie, and you've also got the old. There's an old Lord Baron, about seventy years old, whose wife's about thirty, and she's she's a stunner. But I mean, Will Scarlet's got no chance with his gold digger, so your your man Will's on the plums here. Um, but fair play to me, he made it. He made a. Uh, a play for Maid Marion in the film, but then Costner turns up and says, ah, sorry, Will, I exist, so therefore you've got no chance, son, so on your way. And then that's the end of that attempt. So I can see why Will Scarlet hates Robin Hood in this film, definitely. And that brings us to the end. You'll be glad to hear. <laughs> I just want to finish up by saying... Robin Hood was a huge film of its day. Massive film, as I said, second biggest grossing film in 1991. It's inspired the spoof movie, obviously. Um, and definitely The Three Musketeers ripped it off a good few times as well. It's a Grammy-winning, BAFTA-winning movie. But the main thing is, it's this is still the quintessential... Robin Hood movie. This is still the go-to Robin Hood movie that there is. It's still the best one. There's been attempts since then. The Russell Crowe disaster 
and then Taryn Egerton, absolute pile of trash that that was. This is still the good one, 30 years later. I just think back to when I was eight year, an eight-year-old kid at the movies who just had his mind blown and was just filled with joy and wonderment at this movie. And that's what going to the pictures and that's what going to the cinema is all about. And when you go to the cinema, you're trying to recapture the way you felt as a kid going to the movies. And the movie that made me feel the best was this one. Um, I just love it. I've been to the Yorkshire Dales to see where that scene got filmed. And I've even been to the, the Sheriff Nottingham's castle in France that was filmed in a, a place called Carcassonne. And you really should go there. It's an amazing place. Straight out of the movie, but inside the castle walls there's a town. It's got Michelin star restaurants, it's got pubs, it's got, it's got a concert venue. I went to see AHA and the backdrop of the AHA concert was the castle walls. See, where Azim makes, his, makes that speech is the backdrop to, this, to the AHA concert and they were amazing. This film means the world to me and I hope you enjoyed me talking a load of nonsense about it. And if you're still here at this point, thanks very much. Um, but we'll we'll end it on the the highest of notes. An aha concert in the sheriff's castle. Got to end it there. I will say, promise that Chris Chris will be back for the next episode. Thank God. I'm not doing this again without him. I need his quips and I need his star power, <laughs> as it were. I missed him on this one and uh, looking forward to the next one. And we'll need to make it a good one if you've sat through this. So, as I said, thanks, thank you so much for listening to me ramble on about my favourite movie. I've enjoyed it. I hope at least one person out there enjoyed it. Uh, so, with that, I'm out of time. And I'll leave you with the best song of 1991. Take me to the legend. One of the best songs in 1991. Here it is. Oh, you can't.